Hello, how are you? Welcome along to the podcast. I hope you're well. Another gorgeous, beautiful day on Tuesday the 19th of May here in Cheltenham in the west of England as we maintain our lockdown but kind of the first weeks, five, six days of uh, unlimited exercise certainly in terms of what we can and can't do restrictions and from the government or guidance, whichever way you choose to interpret uh, the approach and the edicts coming from, from the government. Uh, interesting one for you today, hopefully you'll appreciate it. It's a local GP practitioner, Dr. Ranoff Crook, who I met at the Cheltenham Wellbeing Festival when I was hosting events last year. He is also a co-founder of the Cotswold Optimal Health Clinic. And although he obviously is entrenched in, in regular mainstream medicine, he is very much a holistic um, view on, on health and well-being, particularly things like sleep and exercise, quite nuanced, proactive aspects of health advice. So it'd be great to get his take on not only what we're seeing in terms of coronavirus symptoms, projections for where we are, how we ease or continue to ease lockdown, how we resume some kind of normality, and also issues around anxiety and, and anxiety may be affecting us from concerns over health and well-being for us, and particularly people we may feel are vulnerable in our families, but also the growing fear that I think we all have about the economy globally and domestically, and how that's going to bounce back, particularly some industries at the moment are very much uh, in peril, hospitality, so on and so forth, which in the UK still can't open. Although I did get a takeaway coffee from a place called the Swedish Coffee Pod on the way down to record this podcast at my wife's now kind of abandoned office. Um, but yeah, it's a, an interesting podcast and an interesting man and a sort of proactive, pragmatic look at things and quite reassuring. Interesting look at how the, the situation has changed for GPs as it has for much of us around technology and consultations now being done through platforms like Zoom and other ones that are available. The podcast is ever in association with Bang & Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations and also Cytoplan which my father another GP and nutritionist is a part well not a partner but he's a consultant there and he advises a supplement in particular called Immunovite, which can carry selenium, vitamin C and zinc. We're going to talk about vitamin D actually specifically and the importance perhaps of getting out there and enjoying this beautiful weather at the moment for people with Dr. Rang Crook. But the supplement, you can get that and any other supplement from Cytoplan website with a 10% discount if you go to Cytoplan's website and type in the discount code DRAPER10, my last name in capitals, then the number 10. So let's, uh, without further ado, uh, further ado spit it out. Uh, let's practice, not at work as much at the moment. My uh, oratory skills are, are waning. But uh, let's get to Dr. Ran Crook then. Here we go. Hello, Ran. How are you? Hi, Ed. Hi, how are you? Very well, thank you. Appreciate you holding on there. It's a little bit, little bit delayed. We appreciate no, that. No, that's no problem at all. <laughs> Just been homeschooling myself as well at the moment. But um, <laughs> how, how are you? How are things? And... I, I know you're not in the centre of Cheltenham, but how are things in your, in your practice where you are in, in regards to the, the coronavirus? Yes. So I think in, in terms of the, the coronavirus, um, things have been quite low levels for, for a, a few weeks now. Um, we're, we're seeing a lot more of actually the, the, the bread and butter of general practice stuff um, sort of coming coming back to the surface again. Um, mm. We're still, still obviously dealing with the vast majority of that uh, on the telephone or, or video uh, conf conversations. Um, 
But yes, in terms of actual coronavirus symptoms, that's that's not as prevalent as it was towards the end of March, beginning of April, as as it was then. Mm, that's interesting. So using video as well, is that to sort of uh, kind of make a judgment of physical uh, ailments? So, so yeah, the idea is that obviously seeing people, you, you get a much better idea of their body language and get a much better connection than just doing it by the telephone. Mm. Um, in terms of looking at rashes and spots and lesions and things like that, you don't necessarily get quite as good an image. So mm. you still often need to get people to take a pic and send it in by email or, or attach it to a text message sort of thing. So it's a technical, technological revolution for you as well. It's not, 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 not didn't prepare you at medical school for this. No, no, absolutely. But it, it's fantastic. The speed at which, you know, things have been implemented has, has been amazing. Yes. And that's, that's positive as well, isn't it? That people are, are coming back with, quote unquote, regular complaints or, or non-corona complaints. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You, you know, te- technology has enabled us to, to maintain a sort of a, a safe level of, of being able to, to manage lots of things sort of remotely, mm. which is great for now. But I, I have to say, I do, I do miss that, that sort of face-to-face connection. Mm. It's, it's still not the same. It's, it's great for the situation that we're in, but it would be nice when, uh, when we can sort of invite more people back in again. Yeah, if you found it tiring as well, there's a different sort of level of concentration sometimes with the Zoom calls and things, isn't there? I think it's a, it's a, it's a different energy. C- completely, because th- th- there's no kind of... And end to it, you you have a list of of uh, telephone calls, and you know you just keep on ploughing on through. There's not that natural break mm. that you would sort of uh, ending a consultation or or having a gap in your surgeries, um, uh, and and switching to to going through your your letters, your blood results, and things like that. It, it, it's it's very much unstructured. Uh, a list of telephone calls and you plough your way through. So, yeah. so yes, it, it's a different mental fatigue. Yeah, very complicated. And my mum is, my dad's obviously a GP, he's doing similar yeah. to you. And he said it's, he said it's intense. My mum is a social worker and she's sort of um, doing work trying to adjudicate over sort of um, foster applications, which is very difficult without that kind of human to human contact and being in people's homes and things. It's, it's very difficult to do remotely, yeah, but it's better, absolutely. better than better than than nothing but what where do you see where are we you said it was busy at the end of march and april where do you think in terms of um it, the spread of coronavirus how prevalent has it been in the uk i mean obviously in, in gloucestershire how how many people as a percentage do you feel have had it is that important if we know how many have had it uh, i think it's it's impossible really to say how many people have had it um mm. Uh, we we haven't done enough testing because, as as you know, that there are lots of people who who have no symptoms of the coronavirus but yet will test positive. Mm. Um, so unless we we've got a good study that does a representative number of of the the general population with and without symptoms, then we won't really have an idea of how many people may have had it but never have shown any symptoms. Yeah. Uh, it's up, up to 70%, is it potentially, some studies are, are suggesting, could have not, not shown symptoms, been asymptomatic. Yeah, yeah. So, so and, and that will vary according to um, 
what country you're in, what tests they're doing, the sensitivity of the test, but also how we reacted to the the um, the pandemic in the first place and how quickly we isolated and things like that. So mm. um, and, and what what the certain um, social distancing measures that are in place in each each country. So it, it will be difficult to extrapolate from other countries sort of studies that they've done. Um, mm. So so yes, it, it's it's impossible really to say how many people have had it. How important is it to know that number long term in terms of everyone that's been exposed to it to a degree that, that maybe has been asymptomatic so that we can do the, the relaxing? Because I know there's some suggestion that perhaps people can catch it twice. But if people have been asymptomatic first time around, presumably there's a, maybe an assumption it won't be severe for them next time. How do you do you think it's important that we do get to some reckoning of, of how far spread it is in the population before, as we relax and, and go back towards normality? Yeah, I think, you know, being able to, to test, to know what what the current level of prevalence is, how quickly it's spreading, whether that's symptomatic or asymptomatic, is really important in terms of um, guiding the the the, uh, the lockdown easing, so that we know whether the easing measures are, are compromising the 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 spread and and the the R naught, um, which as I'm sure everybody knows by now, is how, how quickly it's mm. one person is spreading it to other people. Um, so so yes, having that sort of idea, getting more and more testing centers and and people expanding the groups that um, we're testing so it's now uh, sort of people over five with symptoms are able to get tested and so um, the more we can get an idea of where it's uh, sort of the rates are high where it's spreading quickly the more we can react uh, Mm. and and try and sort of prevent that escalating to a situation where again the NHS is being um, put at risk of being overwhelmed so the, even without the the um the testing there, there's quite a good app that's doing a, a fantastic job of building mm. this sort of picture um sort of uh, run by uh, king's college london and uh, and an organization called zoe um uh, led by uh, tim specter and they they've got over 3 million people reporting their symptoms or or lack of symptoms mm. and whether they've had a test or not so they've built a, a a fantastic picture of of what the map is of coronavirus in the uk that app's called zoe is it is the app when you search for it in the app store so it's a covid-19 symptom tracker oh, okay Okay. Um, yeah, I have to download that, but that could presumably include people who've suffered from flu or colds. Could it under the under the umbrella of the symptoms? Yeah. So, so that that's one of the difficulties that you know any symptom tracker and and we have um, as as doctors in in trying to sort of advise people is that many of the symptoms are are still that of a common cold. So your persistent cough, your fever. You know, they're they're, they're bread and butter symptoms of of any sort of upper respiratory um, viral infection. So um, mm. a, until we have that access to, to testing in, in large volumes, then we're, we're telling a lot of people to just presume that they have the coronavirus and self-isolate and, and all those measures without actually knowing whether it is a, a more benign respiratory tract infection versus the, the coronavirus. 
Mm. Yeah, it's it's very it's very nuanced, isn't it? And it's interesting as, as data comes to light about the detail of the symptoms and how we maybe differentiate a little bit of, of coronavirus from from other other ailments. Yeah. So now you, now what... since yesterday, the the, um, the the lack of sense of smell being officially added to the um, the case definition. So it's not just mm. cough and fever now. It's also uh, an, an altered or loss of sense of smell. Yes. And do you, do you think geographically is a big distinction? Because the Southwest, I think, nominally Gloucestershire or South Gloucestershire will fall under that category has been relatively lightly touched by the, the pandemic. Whereas London, I mean, I think people are estimating potentially millions of people have, have had coronavirus or been exposed to it. Yeah, so I think I, I think it's a fair representation that in the Southwest we will have been less, we'll, we'll have had less people affected by it. Um, less densely populated and uh, and so I think when we come to to doing the testing we'll 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 find that um, that we we still have a way to go to to get the rates of infection that um, that they have elsewhere such as London Um, Mm. so so yes I I think we we have genuinely been um, less affected than than those sorts of areas when we talk about the topic, it's interesting because everyone, I think, feels anxieties in, in multiple different directions, depending on our circumstances and, and our sort of demographic of, of where we fit into the, I guess, the spectrum of, of human life in terms of our health and our age and things like that. But it's it, when Rishi Sunak introduced the quantitative easing or the money into the system, the furloughing scheme, he said that our anxiety was, was equally matched over health as it, it was about the economy. But that was the back end of March. Are you, as someone who's obviously a carer going into the profession of being a medic, you, you always care for people. How much of it is a nuanced picture now? Because presumably for your patients, you're concerned over the mental health aspects of continuing lockdown and the, the financial health aspects, which obviously play into the, the mental health and, and even the physical health. Is it is it a very complicated picture as we go forward? I, I think it is. Uh, um you know the the longer it goes on the longer the the, the mental health aspects the financial aspects are, are going to come out of the woodwork you know there's only so so much resilience and and um reserve in the system uh, b- before things start surfacing and um and and not only the, the the anxiety and the financial consequences of of the coronavirus but but also the non coronavirus illnesses um, mm. You know, as, as has been widely sort of reported, the, the rates of, of people being um, referred for, for can- suspected cancer um, diagnostics and investigations is massively down. The people presenting with heart attacks, strokes, all those sorts of things um, are massively down. And, and while some of it might well be because people are at home looking after themselves or trying to look after themselves a bit better, there, there is a, a great concern that actually a lot of it is, is a lack of people um, feeling confident to, to go and see a doctor mm. for, for fear of getting the coronavirus. And, and so all of that will start surfacing at a later stage. So it's important they do contact the GP, I suppose, at the first port of call, because you can do a, a distance sort of summer, you know, kind of consultation initially to determine whether things need to be further investigated. And I suppose as well, to give people a credit, I guess that some people are anxious about overstressing the system or because of the way it's been reported in the early stages about potential overload in, in the NHS. Oh, absolutely. You, you know, it, it's a combination of, of fear of, of getting it from 
the worry that they might be asked to come into the surgery or the fear that actually the surgery is is overwhelmed and and they don't want to put any additional pressure on um, mm. yeah. yes no we we are certainly um very much in and all gp surgeries are very much open for for um for the normal normal complaints and just because you you will be told you know we're, we're doing telephones um, that doesn't mean if if somebody's got something that we we need to see them and examine them for we, we won't necessarily do that we'll just try and manage everything that is possible remotely mm. but where you do need to you know examine somebody um uh, and see them in person then obviously we do that with the 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 protective equipment and uh, and distancing so to keep it as safe as possible but it is it is really important that um yes if if people do have health concerns the doctors are still at the end of the telephone to even discuss with so so you don't have to go into the surgery to get that advice yeah definitely contact your local gp it's, it's interesting we weigh this up because as you know I, I speak through the course of my day job with boxers and mixed martial artists people who who weigh up risk, uh, I suppose, and have a higher tolerance of risk naturally because they're in a sport which has real ramifications, both short-term and long-term on brain health and, and other aspects of health. And it's interesting speaking to them because effectively most of them are freelance. They have sponsors who are continuing to pay them, but they're prepared to go back ASAP to fighting because they see coronavirus when they look at the stats of their young men and women relatively small compared to the risk itself of of being in a, in a quote unquote fight. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, is this going to be a case because we've, we've been compliant with the government guidelines, but it, it, as we, it, it becomes more nuanced and it's, it's less exact from the government. Is it more a case of us doing our individual research and assessing what risk we're comfortable with and what the risk may be to us, particularly depending on our, our sort of variables? I, I, I think, I think that, that will, or, or that already is starting to be the case. Um, if you look at the return to schools um, uh, sort of policy uh, and lots of, anecdotally, lots of um, parents are electing to, to not send their, their children back when um, mm. when when sort of suggested at the the beginning of June, so so obviously there are the the sort of uh, the regulations that you, you you have to follow whether you know you want to or not. All of the social distancing uh, and the advice when to wear a mask in in sort of places where you can't social distance yeah. and uh, and it's a, essential uh, journeys and and all that sort of thing so you you, you've got to still comply with that but but certainly you are as we go through these new phases of of trying to ease the the lockdown you are going to find that that some people will decide that they don't want to send their children back to school and Mm. uh, and so you will see differences there and different attitudes to risk what's your what's your take on the the parenting aspects obviously you you've got three kids i believe what what's your is it is it is it new i know it will be nuanced in terms of the the, the actual offerings i know it's not every year is going to be offered uh, the chance to go back to school but certain key ages is are how do you feel about that it, it it's it's very difficult and i can understand how how traumatic it is for for the the teachers to to and stressful it is to to plan how they're going to do this um you know, we we've got um, three children have been going into into sort of primary school. One's at secondary school, um, so so that they've been going in and they've been trying as much as they can to social distance. 
But with with young ones, our youngest is in reception, you know, it's impossible to get them to um, to stick to social distancing. And that with mm. yeah. maybe a, a group of, of 20, uh, you know, out of the whole school. So so when, mm. when you're trying to get um, a whole school back um, by the by July, it's going to be really tricky to see how without significant increases in staffing and significant sort of shortening of the school day. So maybe half are in morning, mm. half are in the afternoon, how, how that's going to work. When, when it comes to that, when you assess the risk um, for the kids themselves and for, for us as parents, do you think it is going to be a case on long going of, uh, of separating kids from grandparents? Is that at the crux of the issue? I think much of it will depend um, on on individual families and and what their their own sort of health risks are. Um, mm. So obviously, you know, you may have some extremely fit sort of over seventy year old grandparents who who biologically are you know as fit as a fifty year old, and likewise, mm. you might have you know, 50, 60 year old grandparents who who are pretty unhealthy and, and, and vulnerable. Uh, and so that you can't necessarily have a, a blanket approach um, in mm. individual families. And, and likewise, with with sending children to school, uh, individual families will, will be assessing their own health risks. Um, yeah, what... you know, if parents have vulnerable health conditions and the thought of their children um, going and mixing with other children and then coming home, um, to them might create quite a bit of anxiety and, and lead to, to, to parents really thinking twice about whether their children go back or not. Mm. Is it too early? And I understand there's some speculation that there's different strains in the world in, in India than what was seen in China and potentially different parts of the States. But what's your assessment of the, of the coronavirus? Because what seemed to oscillate between is, is people who are desperate and understandably again to go back to work who will point to it being as a sort of severe flu and that, that it's, it is affecting a certain aspect demographic with comorbidities. And then you'll get other people who will bring up anecdotal cases which are presented by the media of, of younger people getting it to sort of say this is a, you know incredibly dangerous virus for, for everyone. Where do you sit on that in terms of giving people a sense? Can you, can you give one yet of, of how potentially dangerous this is? This is? I, I think to, to give an accurate view on that you, you kind of need to know what the over, overall rate of infection is and and sort of asymptomatic um, transmission in the in the general wider population so until we've got that that better picture of how many people are asymptomatic how widespread it is in the community um, mm. then then we can't really give an accurate picture of um, of how 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 bad this this virus is um mm. but but what what we know is is that it, it is targeting you know certain groups and certain populations and for for reasons that we we don't necessarily completely fully understand um mm. uh, and particularly the 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 the, the BAME group you know mm -hmm. we're trying to understand more about what it is um that that's making them at such a, a greater risk of, of sort of mortality and, and hospitalisation with the virus. Mm. Yeah, I've, I've been speaking to black and minority ethnic friends of mine and just pointing the evidence. I know you sent me a graph around vitamin D. Is that connected potentially because of people, in, particularly black and people in the northern hemisphere, being UV and, and vitamin D deprived? I guess as we, we often all are in this part of the world over the winter. 
Yeah, so so some of the analysis that's been done in in the UK shows that um, that men who who um, who are black are four point two times more likely to die from the coronavirus. But mm. some of that is is obviously um, dependent on sort of socioeconomic uh, variables. But mm. in in the analysis that the government does they kind of try and correct for that. And even once you've corrected for that, it's still about two times higher than their sort of white Caucasian counterparts. So mm. there's something underlying it that, that we don't quite know. Um, and, and what some people um, have, have suggested is that there's a, a strong possibility that there's a link with, with vitamin D status. Mm. And and uh, the the risk of of mortality or the risk of hospitalisation with with the coronavirus, um, so 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 yes, potentially that that could could provide the the missing link as to why certain groups are more targeted. We we know that uh, again again another risk group is those who are obese. We know there are much lower levels of vitamin D in people who are obese because it's it's sort of sequestered and stored in in the fat okay Um, uh, and so you don't get as much circulating vitamin d and again other conditions like heart problems diabetes we see trends where there are lower levels of vitamin d with these groups Um, and vitamin vitamin d obviously you can take supplements but is is garnered as well from sunlight which at the moment particularly in the uk is pertinent because we're having some great great weather Absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm sitting, uh, looking out of my window with the sun beaming out onto the, the Cotswolds <laughs> Hills. We're we're very lucky, lovely, you know, both where where we live and and the weather we've been having, which is fantastic. But yeah, you're right. So so vitamin D. I, I mean, to to explain a bit more about vitamin D, it, it's it's a sort of a hormone that that we um, we use in our body for primarily bone um, development and muscle development but it also has a role in in our immune system and um and other functions in the body and and it sort of, mm. it can regulate sort of a thousand or more of our genes as well so it's really quite a quick critical part of of how our body functions um mm. and uh, and and it's produced we, we get it in two ways as you say from the sunshine um, which is the the primary source, um, and from our diet, uh, because there aren't very many foods that are that are high in vitamin D. Um, mm. And what you find is actually when you test people's vitamin D levels, it, it very much mirrors how much um, it comes from the UVB, UVB in the sunlight. So it mirrors how much UVB is available geographically. Mm. Um, and, and if you've got and the level of melanin in your skin, how dark your skin is, plays a factor in that, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So, so obviously, the, the greater exposure you have to UVB, such as by the equator, then the, the greater you have to protect yourself from the harmful effects of, of mm. sunshine. So, so yes, melanin, um, which, which gives skin its pigment. And so the more melanin you have, the darker the skin. Uh, it's essentially a natural sunscreen. Um, and and so lots of studies have shown that that um, that, that the darker the skin, the, the lower your um, ability to to synthesize vitamin C from sh- sunshine is. 
Mm. Yeah, um, and what, what, yeah, us, us pasty people have to put sunscreen on in hot climates as well. It's the opposite way around. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. So, 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 so when you've got a, a higher pigment in your skin and you've come from high levels of sunshine around the equator where you can synthesize vitamin D to very, very sort of high latitudes like in the UK, then, then you know, it, it's, it's impossible to make enough vitamin D from your skin. And, and in fact, even for, for us pasty Caucasians, <laughs> um, it, it's, it's impossible to, to, to make vitamin C in the winter, uh, vitamin D, sorry, in the winter months in the UK, mm. um, uh, because the, how, how much you can produce is, depends on the angle of the sun. Mm. Uh, called the zenith angle so so through the winter months we can only get vitamin d through our diet um so hence the the uk advises people um to to supplement through the the autumn and winter months uh with with an oral vitamin d supplement um mm. and it, if you've got dark pigmented skin then they advise it all year round okay that's good to that's good to know it's interesting that what other tips would you have? Because I, I suppose the government, understandably, is, is focused in the immediate uh, methods of preventing coronavirus spread in terms of like hand washing and social distancing. But in terms of boosting our immunity, and it obviously seems a crucial factor here in terms of, as you say, some people being asymptomatic, some manifesting severe and, and, and deadly symptoms. How, what tips would you have on on bolstering immunity? So, so yes, I mean, it, it's in terms of... It, sort of your your immune system it's it's really um there's nothing really that can boost it above and beyond what what a mm. normal immune f- system does so um so so people sometimes will get fixed on on sort of the magical supplement or or mm. or, or thing to do that that will give your immune system a boost mm. um but what, like what I like to talk about is, like is, is, is what you can do to support it to, to sort of function optimally. Mm, uh, and, that's a good point. And, and so, you know, th- there's not one one thing. So so don't don't let yourself get too het up about not doing one thing correctly when you're doing a lot of other things properly. So it, it's it's looking at your overall lifestyle and what you can do. So certainly trying to optimize your levels of vitamin D is, is, is probably what we think is quite a crucial one um, for the situation we're in at the moment. Um, so th- the best that you can do uh, if you're a white Caucasian is making sure you're getting some sunshine. And some, some studies shows that, that actually you can even still get it with sun cream on. So, so mm. still use your sun protection um, but at least sort of 10 minutes in, in the hours between 11 and 3 um, a day. And that's all, 10 minutes. So we're not talking about enough time to risk getting burnt or causing too much sun damage. But, but that's all you need mm. to do to get sufficient levels. Um, if you, you're sort of restricted from going outside because of where you live or, or other reasons then then consider taking a supplement um uh, and they're easily accessible online um so so somewhere between a thousand to four thousand units a day would be a reasonable amount to have Mm. um 
it's a, it, diet again is 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 a really important one so vitamin d you, you get lots of vitamin d in things like salmon and and eggs so so a healthy balanced diet is is really important to to keep your overall health well during this time so mm. um trying to really get a diverse diet lots of your we often say eat a rainbow a day so that's making sure you're getting your red fruit and veg your yellows your greens your oranges your bluey purples um and and they really have a whole collection of different we call them phytochemicals or phytonutrients that come from mm. plants that really help to support your body function optim optimally so so that's really important too and then sleep is a, another critical one. Sleep has a huge impact on on our immune system as well, and and how well it functions. So yeah, by and large, if if we we aim for a window of opportunity of sleep, so we don't really talk about how much sleep you actually get, but just give yourself a window of opportunity of about eight hours a night, and that mm. for most people should be sufficient to get. Um, enough sleep to, to help support your immune system uh, to, to function as it needs to be. Um, and then an, another critical sort of pillar of, of, of a healthy lifestyle is, is physical activity, which I know is a big thing for you. Um, <laughs> uh, and physical activity, we, we know there's what we call a J-shaped curve. So if you have somebody who's in, inact, goes from being inactive to um, to, to, to active, your, your immune system, the rate of respiratory tract infections actually drops a bit. Mm. And then the reason it's J is because then actually as you get more and more and more intense and become very vigorously active, then your, your rate of respiratory infections actually goes up a little bit. So you want mm. to try and get the sweet spot in the middle. Don't overdo it. Mm. But, really trying yeah there's a, there's a match element to that isn't it a lot of people sort of especially men sort of middle-aged men start doing trying to do ultra marathons and yes. things like that yes. which perhaps overdoing it yeah now, now's not the time to, to try and be going gunning for your pbs on your your ultra marathons it, it's really yeah trying trying to get the 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 sort of middle ground of uh, and and you know if you're not an athlete if you've never done any exercise before the the key thing is you know don't don't be too daunted by by that sort of thing you get the most benefit the most health benefit in going from very little to yeah. a little bit so so going from nothing to 15 minutes or 10 minutes a day you get the the vast majority of your benefits in that small change so you don't have to be running marathons you don't have to be doing 5k or even 1k so you know any any little change is is better than mm. nothing if you notice people changing i've noticed in in central cheltenham where i live a lot more people seemingly exercising i mean that could be a, a real positive catalyst couldn't it of the current situation on lots of health levels uh, absolutely you you see people uh, you know the 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 walks around the fields where where we live they're so much more well trodden now you can you can see the volumes of people and when you're out so many more people um out and about walking which is fantastic and and you know it, it's great to mix it up you know that now that people are out you, you're one person's allowed to meet one person from another household you know people are going for bike rides more and uh, and, and other things and, and that's another great thing is is 
mixing it up a bit and not just doing the same routine necessarily mm. and uh, and doing lots of different types of exercise going back to the sleep thing obviously we, we touched on anxiety at the moment and, and, and concern and, and worry and people will be triggered potentially by things they read or, or watch on tv would you have an etiquette around distancing yourself from alarm causing information sort of before you go to bed do, do you see what i mean in terms of reading too much about coronavirus or mortalities at that time when you're trying to relax yeah absolutely what one of the best things you can try and do is is turn up all, all social media about an hour or two before you go to bed and stop checking emails stop reading the news mm. um turn off twitter instagram <laughs> you know it, it's 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 one of those things that um you know, you just have to glance at one alarming headline and then it just gets your brain turning for the next hour. And then, you know, you, you struggle to get off to sleep. And then you've heard mm. you've heard somebody on a podcast say how important sleep is. And then you start thinking yeah. about, oh, gosh, I'm not getting my sleep. So, yeah. yeah. So, so important just to, you know, what one of the most important things, you know, if you were to pick anything in, in terms of getting set up for a good night's sleep will be just the routine of when you go to sleep and when you wake up and keeping those fixed um, mm. e e each day. Um, but, but you know, adding into that, if you're doing that well, then you can add in other things like switching off social media beforehand, thinking about having things to, to turn your brain off, wind down before you go to bed. Hot baths are a great thing um because they mm. they're not only relaxing but the what 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 one of the physiological changes that helps you to go to sleep is a little bit of a drop in your body temperature and so mm -hmm. although you think the reason that having a hot bath is great before bed is because you're nice and warm and cozy it's actually because when you have your hot bath all the blood vessels dilate so the blood comes to the surface mm. of your skin and then when you get out all of that blood is close to the surface and you're losing lots of heat so your your body can cool down so that's one of the reasons why having hot bath before bed is is really good to set you up for a good night's sleep yeah it's funny i've started actually having hot baths partly because of that and also because of um, not being able to go to the sauna at the gym because it's closed at the moment it's trying to sort of replicate some of uh, the health benefits and the relaxing benefits of that but it's a good point you make about the documentation of sleep because people have always said to me and i remember especially when my little girl was a newborn and she wasn't sleeping particularly well, the idea of tracking how bad she was <laughs> sleeping was just terrible because I thought it'd just be, uh, be horrible to sort of get up and think, oh, I've, not, I've slept two hours or whatever it was. I thought, you know, you kind of, you, you know enough intrinsically when you've had a good or bad night's sleep without having to sort of get data to, to confirm <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've got to be in the right state of mind for, um, for, for that sort of thing. Um, but you can read into it two ways. You, you, can, you, can, you can use it to help help guide you when you're you're implementing new strategies so if you if you really want to sort of take this to a, a level where you're trying to get the best sleep and you want to know if doing something is helping that that can sort of also help but but mm. equally it, it's also good to you know irrespective of of what you've done to 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 help you get to sleep if you're waking up that following morning it can be sometimes useful to um, to modify what you've got planned for that day. So if you were thinking of really, you know, going on a nice long run and and really mm. pushing yourself or you've got quite a, a really busy day at work and you wanted to get some exercise in, it might just change what how much stress you put your your body under. If if you've not really fully recovered overnight, um, 
you know, some of these sleep trackers can can really easily tell you and, and quite accurately tell you how how much of a recovery you've had. So you can just adjust what you're doing the next day. So if you've had a bad night's mm. sleep or the, the the data says that, you know, you, you've not recovered as well as as, as you, you should have done, then it, it's quite a good thing, a quite a good nudge, really, to say maybe rather than doing that really heavy weight session or that one hour run maybe just do some yoga or some stretching or something a little you know mm. a, 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 a half hour walk rather than that and and that way you're allowing your body to recover because as much as staying fit and and um and active is important getting good recovery is just as important as well and it, and it's really easy um in in these sorts of situations that we're in now to actually also overdo it because mm, time you, on hands, yeah. you know I, and i find it now sort of looking at i use something called an aura ring which helps track sleep but also activity my activity levels since since lockdown are, are you know hugely more than more than they they were because you you go out for <laughs> your morning run and and exercise with the children and the family and then you come back and then you start doing a bit of you know your vegetable patch or your gardening or or some painting some yeah. DIY and then you play a bit of football with the boys and then you know you do this and then <laughs> you you look back in the evening and think goodness me I've, it's not been non-stop all day yeah whereas whereas otherwise you would have been driving to a football game watching the ball on the sand sideline very fairly state stationary um <laughs> yes so so actually it, you know paradoxically you you want to make sure you've you're building in more recovery because actually you may find that you're doing a lot more than you, you, you're used to. Yeah. And I suppose around mild symptoms as well, you know, people sometimes want to sweat things out, but I guess particularly with coronavirus and the, the range of symptoms, if you have a sore throat or, or something that perhaps has a day to take it easy, I'd imagine would be your advice. Yeah, so, so lots of these trackers will, will monitor your, your body temperature at night. Um, look at your, your heart resting heart rate, your heart rate variability. That's how, how much the, um, the time between each heartbeat varies from beat to beat. Uh, and and those are all quite sensitive markers um, of of predicting when you're you're starting to become un, unwell as well. So you can really sort of see if you if you've got a little bit of a trend, if you've got enough data beforehand, you can see what your body should be doing and w- what it's currently doing. And if your core body temperature is going up, starting to rise at night, then yeah, that that's a, a really sort of early warning sign that you you need to really start recovering taking it easy mm. looking at what you're doing and may, maybe modifying your activity so you're, you're doing less intense activity and and um, not putting your body at risk of infection i guess yeah it, yeah it's a good good point actually just to to listen to your body as well and be aware of it i suppose we all are probably overdoing it sometimes we all convince ourselves we've got coronavirus <laughs> about three times a day i think at, at different periods um but what, what, what's your, I'm asking you to play Nostradamus or, and to predict the future, but what's your sense of how and when we come out of this? Obviously, there's different approaches going on now globally in terms of the rate of return to, to normality. Do you see it? We had a very sort of binary jump into this in terms of it shut down very quickly. But do you see it being something that may be ongoing for, for a while in the, in the context of the vaccine and a, and a sort of miracle cure for coronavirus being 
to be confirmed in terms of when that will happen? It, yeah, it, it, it's a, a, a hugely difficult political balance to, to, to make. Um, but I, I don't think there's going to be any sudden sudden changes. Um, you mm. know, the, 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 there are lots of, lots of um, studies going on into vaccinations and lots of money being put into that and lots of people working in new ways and, and working together and really trying to prioritize coming up with a vaccination and 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 some sort of promising encouraging results so far um so if we can get even even when we get a vaccination though it's going to be a question of how how quickly they can get a a good supply and and how many uh, and so i suspect it it will be a case of rolling out the vaccination to particular groups in phases and so even even when we mm. have that miracle vaccination it's not going to be a sudden right everybody rock up to the hospital or the doctor one week get the yeah. vaccination and then the whole country can go back it is it, it's, it's going to be phased and it will be over a fairly fairly sort of medium medium term time frame i would imagine yeah it's going to be very much watching watch and wait isn't it a little bit like the flu and i suppose as we we'll wait possible different strains and things as we as we do with the the flu it's it's a yeah a challenging time but how are you anyway Rand? To, to, are you are you kind of i guess optimistic about the whole situation and do you feel but both privately there's there's upsides to this as well as oh, downsides? I, def- I definitely think we've got to look at the, the positive sides of, of these sorts of things um you know I'm in terms of personally, I think, you know, there, there have been lots of positives in the changes in, in, in work. And it's been so encouraging how, you know, really, certainly in our practice, all of our staff and our team have really rallied around each other and supported each other um, and, and mm. taken on really quite radical adjustments to the way they work really quite quickly. Um, which is, you know, fantastic and, and just, you know, a privilege to work with people who, who you know, adjust and adapt so quickly to those sorts of things. And, that, you know, that's what we do as a human species is that's one of our advantages is how quickly we can adapt to things. Um, and mm. and, and, and point, yes, yeah. I think, you know, on a wider, wider scale, you know, certainly things like physical activity, the, the, the public health message that before this started, you know, physical activity was certainly a keen interest of of me professionally uh and mm. you know the 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 public health message of just movement physical, yeah physical activity is for your health is certainly far greater now since this this lockdown and you can see how much uh people are paying attention to their their physical activity and you know all my patients talk about how much they're they're cooking at home and and you know the 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 fact that people are doing that they're they're not eating as much processed ultra processed foods and and all those sorts of things is, is a, a huge great positive um that that i think has, has come out of it yeah and we're doing this on the on the remotely as well and there's, there's a lot of positive legacies aren't there i hope there are anyway health wise going yeah. forward with a lot of those, those chronic chronic lifestyle issues but hopefully we'll be able to meet in the future ran in the cotswold optimal health clinic or elsewhere and have a yeah i appreciate i appreciate was, your time uh, for yeah now. great to to have these conversations but i think it would be nice to do uh do a similar sort of thing like we did back in the cheltenham wellbeing festival which uh, was having a face-to-face chat about it all 
Yeah, you you appeared recently at the virtual conference, didn't you? The, the Live Well. No, I, could, no, uh, I wasn't. Virtual. No, no, no. no you didn't know. Oh, okay. Well, hopefully you'll be in the near future, but I know that Alice and Alex and Lottie, who organised that, have got a, a website up, yeah. Live Life Well, Virtual Wellbeing Festival, which there's def- there's, yeah, there does seem to be momentum around, around health and wellbeing, yeah, doesn't it, I think, no, um, as we, as no, we the, move into this. Alex and Lottie have done a, a great job in, in raising awareness of, of all the, you know, the great span of different ways health and well-being affect us you know from mental health financial you know all, all those sorts of things let alone the, the physical side of things so um th- their website mm. has all sorts of resources and i i know they're they're coming up uh, with another one this friday so um always log on to the website there's a a, a friday <laughs> evening event as well so uh, a great resource and and great that it's so local Fantastic. Certainly so. Well, Ran, enjoy the rest of uh, the day. And I think you've wrapped up homeschooling for the day, hopefully. So <laughs> yes. that's, uh, enjoy, the, uh, enjoy the beautiful evening. And I hope to catch up with you Fantastic. soon. Fantastic. Cheers, Thank then, you. Ed. Take care. Bye-bye. Cheers, Ran. Take care. Well, a big thank you to Dr. Ranoff Crook there, Ran, for spending that time on the podcast, giving us some, some advice around immunity. I think it's really good. And hopefully those messages will start to come from the government as we do incrementally work our way back to more integrated society, less homebound around boosting our immunity and the things we can do, moderate exercise there and diet and sleep being a foundation is one I've always struggled with because of working shift work, which I'm doing less of at the moment because my on-air shifts at Sky Sports are reduced, so less 2am bedtimes, less 3am get-ups, so on and so forth. So actually for me, being able to kind of harness sleep a little bit more than in regular times, and that's a positive of the situation. Obviously, with no sport really happening at the moment, anxiety over my employment, as, as I'm sure we're all feeling at the moment Sky Sports has been fantastic in supporting its staff but again ultimately we know that streams of money um, affect every company don't they at the moment we're all we're all seeing those dry up a little bit so it's it's a tricky tricky time so good to get that advice from Dr Rand Crook and, and just maintaining not only a physical but mental health and trying to um, stay as socially engaged as, as we can I hope you enjoyed that podcast if you did please rate it on iTunes if not fair enough you can always uh, downgrade it and comment but if you want to follow uh, Dr Randolph Crook he's on social media too and the Cotswold Optimal Health Clinic that he co-founded is is on there as well that's based in Cheltenham but he's in a provincial practice I believe as he was saying there got the beautiful Cotswold Hills on his doorstep which is uh, which is lovely but yeah if you want to get in touch with me as well I'm on social media Ed Draper 81 on Twitter Ed underscore Draper 81 on Instagram less active on Facebook but I do have a Facebook page it'd be good to get your feedback and any comments you have and any questions perhaps in the future hopefully speak to Ran again and indeed my father, Dr. Mark Draper. Shout out to Serena V and Bang Ollison of Cheltenham, still very much active. Jason Briggs and his team to get in touch with them through their social media or website, Bang and Ollison Cheltenham. And indeed, Cytoplan, if you want 10% off food-based supplements, head to cytoplan.co.uk and the discount code is Draper, my last name, all capital letters, and then the number 10. Thank you for your time listening to the podcast. Do appreciate it. I hope you're well and I hope... Um, All your anxieties are okay at the moment and we're in it together. So do stay in touch and keep in contact with the podcast. Thank you guys. Bye for now.